This is Mona Tanja, president of NCSM, and welcome to Learning with Leaders, the Bold Mathematics Leadership Series. Join me as I sit down and have conversations with emerging and established leaders exploring equity in action. You will hear from bold mathematics leaders as they share their experiences and actions and what they have learned from them. We think these next few minutes will help you consider the bold actions that you can take to focus on equity and support those that you serve. Grab a warm cup of coffee and a journal as we learn together on our mathematics leadership journey. Hello, and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders, the Bold Mathematics Leadership Series. John Sangiovanni and I are your co-hosts for this month's Bold Leadership Conversation, featuring three amazing speakers that are presenting at the NCSM Bold Leadership Summit, Mathematics Leadership, Engaging in the Essential Actions that is occurring in April. Today, we have the privilege of discussing what equity means to them, and they will provide us a quick preview of the new learning that we will experience in April. Our first guest is Emma Trevino, and she is currently working with the University of California at Riverside as a collaborative researcher on a project titled Improving the Implementation of Rigorous Instructional Materials in Middle Grade Mathematics, Developing a System of Practical Measures and Routines. She also works with a group of district math specialists in San Francisco, providing assistance as they help district teachers improve their practices. Our second guest is Harold Asturias. He is a director of the Center for Mathematics, Excellence and Equity at the Lawrence Hall of Science, a science center located at the University of California, Berkeley. Before that, he was a deputy director of the Mathematics and Science Professional Development at the University of California Office of the President. Our final guest is Carmen Whitman, and she is the Director of Mathematics for All Consulting. She collaborates with school districts throughout the nation and provides professional development on mathematics content issues and strategies and routines for English language learners as they implement a standards-based curriculum. She has also held positions as Mathematics Program Coordinator for the University of Texas at Austin, Charles A. Dana Center, Mathematics Specialist for Austin ISD, and has taught mathematics in grades two through 10, both in Texas and California. She is unable to be on the podcast today, but we are looking forward to learning from her in April. So let's welcome our panel of experts and thank you for all joining us today. So welcome folks, we're so glad to have you. And the first question I have for you is, um, tell us about your story. How did you all come together um, as colleagues? Thank you, and thank you for having us. Um, we have been working together for many, many years. When Emma and Carmen uh, started teaching in Texas, um, in, uh, in, in, their, in their town, uh, and then we got, got connected in, in a, through a project in the 90s that was called the New Standards Project, where we were the designing, developing, creating performance standards and an assessment, a performance-based assessment. And they were working with English learners and I was in charge of devising and designing a portfolio assessment system that had as its, as its heart um, dealing with or providing access to English learners to mathematics. So Emma, tell a little bit about your uh, teaching experience with Carmen. So our teaching experience started in the middle grades. We both were new to a campus the same year. So given that we were gravitated towards each other and learned from each other and started doing things together as far as 
professional development, attend attendance and opportunities like the one Harold just mentioned with new standards, taking advantage of opportunities together at the time. This was many years ago, so we were quite younger, but we have managed, we like-minded people kind of stick together. So we've managed to stick together. And when we started our first collaboration with Harold, we, we felt like very strong connections with, with the thinking that we did and the opportunities that we wanted to give students and realizing that those opportunities for students had to come through opportunities that we gave other teachers as well. So for me, just one, to add one more comment is that for many, many years, about 30 years, we have been working on issues of equity in the classroom, in mathematics classroom. I love how your, how your passions kind of brought you all together. It's an awesome story. Thank you guys for sharing that. Yes, we have, we, yes. All right, so I'm gonna start with a big question. What are you most excited about the summit? When I first heard about the summit from Connie, one of the things that excited me a lot was the fact that there was gonna be this common theme throughout the conference and then leaders together were going to come and hear about, about this framework for leadership and have a common theme. And then the other thing that excited me also was there's gonna be an opportunity for question and answer session at the time so that if questions were we're coming up to the participants at that time, live questions and answer sessions would give them opportunities to exchange their ideas and make connections with what they were learning to what they are implementing back at their sites at whatever, whatever level they're at. So that strong connection between the theme throughout the conference and the opportunity to brainstorm any questions that you have at the time of the conference itself. And just to add a little bit to that, to what Emma said, so Deedle and Anne, um, the idea that we have a wide range of leaders that we will be able to interact with, um, it excites me because, you know, we need leaders who um, create a common understanding of what the challenges are and address the system. Because we, we, we know that there's a lot of pockets of, of success many teachers who are very successful in their classroom, but leaders are responsible for not only help them grow and reflect on their beliefs and their, and their work, but also make sure that we can scale that and that we can sustain it over time. Right, and, and leadership conversation is, is so important today. Um, why do you think that leadership conversation is so important today? One of the main reasons for that is because we know that deficit views of historically marginalized students, their families um, are based on race, um, their class, their language, their culture, and they persist in our systems, um, in, particularly in education. And the pandemic, COVID-19, not only made this so evident to us, but it also revealed that it's, it's coupled with an, another evil um, that existed even before the pandemic and that's racial injustice. So we need to acknowledge that our system is by nature unjust, unjust. And 
And when we think about that, then we, it's the only way that we can begin to create equity and access. And those unfair policies and practices that are uh, evident in, in, our, in our times through police brutality, civil rights violations, unequal access to healthcare, and opportunities for education, or lack thereof, opportunities for, for students to pursue their interests and aspirations. That is a very crucial and such important problem and challenge that we have to have leaders think carefully about how do we change? You know, many, many conversations go about going back to normal. Normal didn't work for many students. So we don't, we should not be thinking about going back to what we had, status quo doesn't work. Therefore, what is it that we need to do to move forward and create better access and more equal opportunities for students? I love how you say that, Harold, because we keep talking about this. We can't wait to return to normal um, in, in response to COVID-19, but in many ways, we don't want to return to normal. Um, we have a calling to return to something so much better, or we have a charge to do something so much better, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's one of our our challenges right now is this this idea around equity in mathematics education. And you mentioned, you know, deficit views, inequity, racial injustice, um, and then really trans transitioning to, you know, how do you take these injustices or um, inequities and and close that close the gap, right? Like, how do you? I guess what I'm trying to get at is what are the actions needed to overcome some of these things. And, and just, just one, one, one additional comment on that is that, you know, for too long we have focused on an achievement gap, but we have not looked at the opportunity gap. That is, I think, more of a, a more relevant, I think, because the achievement gap is given by assessment tools that may not necessarily pay, uh, uh, take into account the assets that students bring, the culture, the language, their backgrounds. And therefore we are playing to that white dominant um, culture that prevailed through the standardized tests and, and, and measures that do not uh, show the, the value of the thinking that students bring. So we need to, um, shift how we think about what the inequities are, what the injustices are, and then uh, think about what do we do differently. So Harold, I'm interested about some of the greatest challenges to equity in math, equity in mathematics education. And, and speaking to this opportunity gap is certainly one of those. What other things do you see are great challenges to equity in mathematics education? Um, there, there, there are many, many challenges and, and I would say that the way that policies and decisions are made are not always, or more often than not, are based on sorting students um, uh, on what they do not know or cannot do, rather on deficit, that deficit thinking rather than what they have and what they are able to do. Um, and, and many times they're made for, uh, for political, reasons, not educational reasons. Um, so I think that, that 
systemic, and that those are per se pervasive in the systems. And we need to think about how do we have, uh, change the system so that those opportunities are better, take better into account the students' interests, aspirations, and what their families want for their students, for their children. The educational systems are not set up to account for that and to give those opportunities. So we need to rethink how policies and, and decisions are made inside the systems. Yeah, and, and, and that really you, resonates with, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that, that really resonates with me because again, when you think about this time and that we're in and, and you know, we're sorting, we're gonna be, we're gonna fall into this needing to sort kids, students as to what they have and what they haven't, what, what learning loss they've had and what they haven't had and thinking about all of their deficits as opposed to their strengths and how we maximize those and um, give them opportunity based on their interest and in, in their, um, uh, yeah, so that, it's, it's just very timely how you speak to this now. Yeah, and your, your session um, at the summit is titled Leadership Paying Attention to What Matters, Student Thinking, Students Thinking. So what are some of the big ideas that um, leaders will take away after coming to your session? One of the big ideas that we want leaders to take away when they come to our session is to recognize, recognize that student agency is essential for relevant learning and to develop a positive mathematical disposition and identity of the students. Another one could be that I want all leaders that leave our session to recognize that ma maintaining a high cognitive demand leads to productive struggle, which is crucial for developing students' ability to reason with mathematics. I, we, want we want leaders to recognize that we want culturally relevant teaching, but not contrived mm. culturally relevance yeah you know many 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 contexts many there's a misconception about what culturally relevant is by just bringing something from a cult from another culture we think oh we're being culturally relevant but relevance means that students understand not only their culture that they have a predisposition to understand somebody else's culture but in the in the in the process of understanding the mathematics that they're learning so um, we, we want that connection, the interconnectedness, not one instead of the other. Yeah, thank you, Rod. So your, your session is aligned to the design principle uh, from the NCSM framework for leadership in mathematics education. Um, what, what are some specific strategies that you plan to highlight um, in your session? Yeah, so when, uh, just let me, let me start by, by, by giving you a premise. Our premise is that instead of teachers, the traditional understanding of what a teacher is, having all the knowledge and imparting the knowledge, uh, just communicating knowledge, the, I like this, uh, this principle because it's about design. We are educational designers. And what we're doing is designing opportunities or designing learning experiences for students that will give them more or less coherence and uh, focus on what they're learning or what we want them to learn and opportunities for sense-making. 
So we are going to highlight strategies, tools, and routines that provide students that, those opportunities. Um, opportunities for language, academic language development, opportunities for reasoning, um, using the, uh, the practices as ideas for how we expect students to, to reason and think. Uh, and and in, in that context, help students develop ownership of their learning, giving them opportunities to exercise their agency, um, and then use formative assessment uh, as tools for knowing whether, whether, how to adjust instruction. Designers, designers think of their audience not as a homogeneous group, but rather that a, a group of steady students in a classroom come with all sorts of variety of students thinking, all ideas. And the, our, our goal in a good design is to um, unpack and make that thinking public and find all the variety of thinking that exists in my classroom and then use those and discussions about the, the, the variety of thinking of ideas to move everybody as close po as possible to grade level learning to grade level understanding, but it's through that conversation that's socially negotiated. So we're going to talk about um, strategies for um, including students in discourse, um, talk moves, teacher moves that, uh, that create a culture in the classroom that allows students opportunities, not only to participate, but to communicate their thinking and understanding each other's way of thinking. In our session, we will discuss a theory of action that, that will build coherence in a system by sharing a framework that we have been using throughout the years with our participants and to help them build in those routines and tools that Harold talked about. Yeah, when you talk about the coherence in the system, that the sy systematic thinking is what I think we need to disrupt mm -hmm. sometimes um, because that thinking has brought along inequities for good or bad. Um, inequities exist in the system because of how we've done education up to, the, up to, da up to date, right? So knowing of all of what you guys described in terms of what happens in terms of good instruction and helping our students um, feel like they have access and an equitable instruction going on, what support do you think leaders need most when we're moving towards this idea of designing and implementing structures to support high quality teaching and learning for all students? Like what are, the, what are some of the strategies or, or support that you think that leaders need most to, to get to this coherent system? Uh, I believe that there's at least three things that they need. They need to reflect on what they believe um, and make decisions that are consistent with those beliefs. Mm -hmm. They need to um, learn from and with each other and they need uh, feedback loops that everyone in the system can provide feedback about those decisions that are being made and make adjustments on, on the way. So um, leaders need to uh, not only support each other and learn with each other and share with each other, not only successes, but challenges and how they're, they're tackling them, 
but also feedback from those who are below, that are receiving, not necessarily below them, but receiving the uh, either benefits of, or, or, or not benefits of the decisions that are being made. Because the only way to continue, continually improve on how leaders make decisions is to get feedback of the effect of those decisions. So at, at minimum, I think those are, are three things that they need. Yeah, I agree. So, and, and as you're, you're talking, you make me think about uh, two, two specific things, um, things that are misunderstood and advice for new leaders. So my first question for you is, what do you think is something that is misunderstood about structures in mathematics education to, to achieve these goals? Um, I think that the one, one common misunderstanding is that um, one size fits all. So when, when many systems, in fact, I, I remember that when, with, the, with the pandemic, with COVID-19 and everybody wondering uh, or worrying about the, what they called the lack of knowledge or what, you know, what students were going to miss up and not, not know and come behind, right? Um, I remember that many, many systems, many uh, districts and even states, uh, state um, leaders were asking, where is the test that will tell me what they are failing on so I can give them the remediation that they need? And so I, I can put a program, a remediation program in place and that's it, we're, we're done. And that's not, that's not reality, right? So it's, it's that kind of misconception that I can, from the very top, put some blanket policy or, 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 or even a, a program in place that fixes all the problems. And, that, and that's a misconception of both what the problem is, most of the time we blame the students or the systems blame the students uh, and, and, or say that they don't speak the language or they can't think of because uh, their experience that they, they're not prepared, they're coming behind, uh, or um, that the, the system itself is making decisions based on other reasons, political, financial, uh, because there is a, a, a publisher that comes and sells them all the, the, the latest, bright, more brightest thing. Uh, but there is little in terms of um, understanding not only how to continue to improve, but also getting the evidence that something is working. Uh, so uh, that's another misconception that we just put it in place and, and, and have whatever assessments they have, it's enough instead of um, a very um, continuous process to um, engage and, and, and look at what students are doing. In, in, in fact, one of the biggest pieces of work that we've been doing is in the tracking because th those practices um, lead to tracking. And in tracking, that the, the very typical tracking is students who are considered the low performing are placed in the low track and they never get out of there because there is no um, design for how they will get out of it. So there is a misconception that just placing them in there and filling in whatever they're missing is going to be enough. And that's kind of the misconceptions that I think we're trying to uh, address. So that leads me to the second part of my thinking and um, 
And I'm always thinking about the new leader and I always say that I feel like I'm still a new leader after all these years. Um, what is some advice that you would give to a new leader in mathematics? I feel new leaders of mathematics need to be humble. And I'm always working on this next one. I, we need to, to ask, not tell. As a new leader, I need to ask a lot of questions and not tell. I'm working, I'm working on that myself. Be curious, reflect on your own beliefs constantly. I need to pause, reflect, what do I believe? How do I act on my beliefs? Check my assumptions before I act on them. I cannot help but assume some things, but before I take action, check on those assumptions. Recognize the white dominant culture that prevails in our educational system and then work to dismantle it. Another thing that I truly believe that we need to, we need to do as leaders, new leaders, leaders that have been in the profession for a long time, be ready, able, and willing to learn from the people that we are leading and be very transparent about learning together. As a leader, I become a better leader when I am learning alongside the people that I'm leading. I feel that I have accomplished my leadership when I see people mimicking what I have done thinking that it's their, or knowing that it's their idea, owning it themselves. And, and just to add to that last point that Emma said, we, we apply that a lot in coaching, coaching when we coach principals, when we coach uh, coaches, when we coach leaders, that unless we are willing to be influenced by them, we won't be able to influence them, right? And, but that, that's what a coach, a leader can do. A leader can only influence others to move forward, to change their beliefs, right? You cannot tell anybody what to do. Do it this way. That, that doesn't work. We try that's, right. that's advice. <laughs> advice for new leaders and advice for old leaders and, and <laughs> advice for, for leaders looking to make New Year's resolutions um, thinking about their own, yeah. their own practice. So uh, thank you both for that. I, I just, I, it helps me so much. Um, and I'm sure it helps our members as well. Mona? Yeah, so my last question is, so you guys have talked a lot about the structures and designing. And one of the things that struck me was this idea around, um, you know, the people you were working with wanted a quick, quick answer to differentiation, basically. Like, give me a test that tells me where kids are at so I can fix them. And what we know from this is that when you're providing that type of intervention, typically what happens is, a structure is created that is going to be asking students lower cognitive demand work, right? So if it's an intervention, typically, and I say typically, typically the interventions that are provided are, they, they take away the cognitive demand because the students couldn't get it the first time, therefore we're gonna make it easier and accessible. I'm not saying that's right, I'm just saying that that is what, what is observed. So right. I guess my question for you is, is what are some success stories that you've seen in changing systems that meet the needs of all learners? You know, do you have one or two stories you can share of where you've seen changes that have really impacted the learners in the system? 
Yes. I, I have a story of what brought me to California and that has to do with, I used to work for the University of Texas and I would come in and out of California working with San Francisco Unified, implementing the standards at the time the, new, the Common Core State standards were new. And then there was an opportunity to come and oversee that implementation. It was brought to my attention that I might fit that description. So I said yes to moving to the San Francisco area. And one of the first things that was in place was the detracking. So it's easy to have detracking and then make policies that you will detract. But then what happens after that? You can't just say we're going to detract. Everybody's going to be the same. So what do you put in place? So what the San Francisco did is they started with the idea of detracking and then said, what are the support systems and policies that need to be in place to enable our teachers to detract? So there's a lot of stories that go with that, but one of my one of my stories that I tell whomever asks is something called practical measures that we implemented in our middle grades. And what practical measures does, it gives teachers instant data about the students' thinking. We're working with um, Paul Cobbs and Kara Jackson from Washington State and Paul from Vanderbilt. And there's anywhere from eight to 12 questions asking the students, so what were you thinking? What, what happened? And then absolute data, in the moment data for us to reflect with the teachers. We asked the students, so why were you in small groups today? And to hear their answers about why they thought they were in small groups today gives the teacher and the coach of that teacher and the other leaders around, it gives us information to act. The reason I wanted them in a group to have a discussion about mathematics was not why the students thought they were in that group. So asking students questions and realizing what are they thinking? I don't want to make up or make assumptions. I talked about checking our assumptions. So we have data to help teachers move forward, but the data itself is not enough. I need to sit down with the teacher or with the group of teachers and have a discussion about this data. Who's thinking what? Which students are doing the talking? Which students' ideas are getting picked up? When I'm summarizing a lesson, what, are the, what students am I calling on? Why those students? Why not the other students? Whose voices are being heard? Whose ideas are being taken up? And all this is very eye-opening for this issue of equity. Let me, let me just add to what Emma said, that we're very, we're very excited to share with the leaders that uh, participate in this, these ideas of how to use evidence of student thinking. That's what part of the, our description of our session because we believe that that's the most important. It's about student thinking. And this, um, they're called practical measures because there are, even though there are eight questions, are a very short way to do it at the end of a problem solving or a task, a, a lesson that they're that work on. Um, most often it's a group worthy task that students work on problem solving. And then we ask them what 
whether they change their mind based on some of what somebody else said and things like that. And, but the most important thing is for leaders is understanding how, that, how to use that evidence in having discussions about improvements that then we can go and try and continue to do that um, on a regular basis. One of my favorite questions from that survey is who did the most talking today? <laughs> and there's two choices, the student or the teacher. And to see the teacher react to the students saying the teacher is very fulfilling because we're after the student doing more talking. And when we do this over the course of time in the same classroom with the same students, and to see the change of, it went from 90% of the students saying the teacher to 90% of the students saying the student, that just makes the teacher feel like I am making some progress. If I want my students to do the more talking, have I given them the opportunity to do that? Why is it that the student is saying the teacher did the most talking in one lesson and the student says the teacher did the most talking in another lesson? Well, then we investigate what was the task that we put in front of them. Did they have an opportunity to talk? Or did I, as the instructor, the facilitator of learning, did most of the talking? And of course, uh, this is a success story because when, we, when you have these discussions with teachers, their beliefs begin to change, their understanding about what student thinking is believes to change, and all these leads to positive changes. So that's what we call it a success story. Oh, no, that's great. Um, I'm making me think about this idea of, you know, what changes first, beliefs or actions? And what I'm, some of the reading I'm doing over my winter break is that you can't just focus on one or the other, which I love how you guys are using student voice to empower teachers to really understand what, how their actions and or their beliefs are impacting student learning. So Thank you guys. I'm really excited for your session at the Bold Leadership Summit. And I just really appreciate your time today. And um, we are looking forward to that, the upcoming Bold Leadership Summit in April. Um, on our website now, you can go and register. And right now it's, we just announced today that it's today when I'm recording this, <laughs> that there is a virtual version as well as an in-person version. So. We're looking forward to seeing you either online or in person for this event. So just once again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you both. Great conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. Dear NCSM podcast listeners, we have a special promotion starting February 11th that runs to May 10th, 2021. Use the promotion podcast when you join or renew your NCSM membership at mathedleadership.org. There are many benefits to being a member with the first being that you are a member of the premier mathematics leadership organization with access to resources and support as you work towards equitable instruction and improve student learning for all. You also have access to the newest monthly event, Networking Nights with NCSM, as we gather across the continent to discuss hot topics and learn from each other. Don't miss out on the opportunity to join or renew your NCSM membership now using the promo code podcast now till May 10th, 2021. We hope you have been inspired by this bold mathematics leadership conversation and will tune into our podcast series each month. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, 
post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. You can learn more about NCSM Leadership in Mathematics Education and our upcoming professional learning events on the NCSM website at mathedleadership.org. You can also follow NCSM on Twitter at mathedleaders using the hashtag NCSMBold. Thanks again.